Welcome, everyone, to another debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan of ABC News, and once again, I have the honor of moderating as the six debaters you see sharing the stage with me here at the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts at New York University. Six debaters, three against three, will be debating this motion, Don't Blame Teachers Unions for Our Failing Schools. Parse out that language that means if you vote for the motion, you are voting for exonerating teachers unions. If you vote against the motion, you are voting for, you blame teachers unions. I'll rephrase that. You blame teachers unions if you are voting against the motion. Now, this is a debate, and I'm the referee, but you, the audience, are actually the judges. You will have been asked by the time this debate ends to vote twice, once before and once after debate, to tell us where you stand on this motion. And after hearing the arguments and the second vote, the team that has changed the most minds will be declared our winner. So let's go now to the vote. And at the right-hand side of your seat, there is a keypad. Read this motion closely because the language is a little bit challenging. If you are for the motion, push number one. And for the motion means you exonerate teachers' unions. If you are against the motion, push number two. This means that you blame teachers' unions for the failure of the schools. If you are undecided, push number three. And if you feel that you've made an error in your selection, just push the correct number and it will lock into the, the most recent, your, your last vote will actually be the one that is recorded. So we will tally those votes in a few minutes and somewhat into our opening round I will tell you what the first results were. I also wanted to share a, a very brief personal note that I'm going to declare irrelevant, that uh, my grandfather was a New York City public school teacher. And so is my father. And so is my mother. And so is my 93-year-old Aunt Grace, who even now is living on in the Bronx. I will make all of this irrelevant. Because that is my job, to be neutral and to moderate. So let's get on with round one of our debate. Opening statements by each debater in turn. They will be seven minutes each, uninterrupted. And speaking first for the motion, I'd like to introduce uh, Randy Weingarten, who is the president of the American Federation of Teachers, the country's second largest teachers union, and I believe also you have New York City school teachers in your heritage. Um, absolutely. Ladies and many, gentlemen. Many, many of them. Many, many. Randy Weingarten, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, John. Thank you, Bloomberg. Thank you, NPR. And thank you, Mr. Rosencrantz. Look, we have a double challenge today in America. One is the need to compete in a global economy, an economy that has changed hugely, even as many of us um, have been wrestling with it. Number two, we have the effects of the global recession, state and local budgets that are totally and completely decimated right now. And so when the investment is very, very meek, as it is right now, and the need is very, very great, it's no wonder that people are looking to find one entity to blame. But my friends, blaming unions for school failure is like blaming the middle class for the recession. Ultimately, what unions do, what our union does proudly, is have a, have a mantra. What is good for kids and what is fair for teachers? Now, am I saying that everything we've ever done is the right thing? Absolutely not. Am I saying that we are perfect? Absolutely not. But what we are trying to do in this very, very turbulent time 
is search for what works. Search for what works for kids. Let me ask, let me um, suggest this. If teacher unions were to bl be blamed for failing schools, then you would assume that schools in less unionized states would outperform schools in more densely unionized states. So you'd assume that places like Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, who have relatively few unionized teachers, would do much, much better, right? But that's not the case. The states with the most densely unionized teachers, Massachusetts, New York, Maryland, they do the best. And the countries with the most densely unionized populations, Finland, Japan, they do the best. So what do we learn from that? What we know is that there are problems, like Mr. Rosencrantz said, there are problems we have to solve, one of which is poverty. States like Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, they have and have been plagued by tremendous poverty. We have to compete with poverty. That's what public education is, and that is what the search we have for. That's what our search is, to find what works. So ultimately, I hope tonight we can move from scapegoating to solutions, to problem solving. And I would argue to all of you that having a strong union, someone and an entity that will look at what it's done right and what it's done wrong and solve things and change things is the way to go. So what works? What can we learn from places like Maryland, Massachusetts, New York State, Finland, and Japan? This is what we can learn. This is what works. What works in places where we don't, as Terry Moe will probably argue, where we don't have niche markets, where we can't marketize our schools, where we have to help all kids. So we need, we need well-prepared and supported teachers. We need well-rounded, rigorous curriculum that engages kids and that we can get our arms around. We need to invest in the tools and the time to differentiate instruction. We also need things like early childhood education and a focus and a fixation on graduation in terms of high school. And finally, we need good services to help level the playing field for kids. Now, is this a panacea? Is this something that has never happened and it's a search for something we don't know how to find? No, we find these elements in lots of different places. And the glue that binds this together, the difference between the places that work and the places that don't, are good labor management relationships. Like we see in one of my other panelists here in the ABC School District in California, which has lifted its scores, which has changed its relationships from competitive to ones that are collaborative. Does that mean, as I said before, that we've done everything right? Of course not. Everyone has to take more responsibility in this day and age. If we're going to ensure that all kids are ready for life, for college, for career, that means, that, that means we all have to take collective responsibility. And we at the AFT attempted to do that in any number of ways. First, in pushing for common standards, including the new Common Core curriculum or the Common Core standards, in pushing for better aligned assessments, in pushing for better curriculum, and in looking at ourselves and saying, look, we have to have a new approach to due process. 
We can't have rubber rooms anymore. We can't have a choice between off with your heads and warehousing. We can't have situations where if there is incompetence in the classroom, we allow that to happen. We have to have new evaluation systems that are fair, that are meaningful, that are competent, and that actually help teachers teach in a more robust way than they may be doing now. But we also have to give teachers the tools and the time and the conditions that they need to do a good job with kids. Because at the end of the day, to compete with poverty, to lift all boats, to make sure that kids get that chance to dream their dreams and to achieve it, it comes with initially that connection between teacher and kid. That connection we make every day that we teach. That connection I made with my kids at Clara Barton High School that I know Gary made when he taught, I know Lisa made when she teaches. We need teachers to have the support of the people around us and the unions, the unions, all of us, the unions will do everything in their power to help fight for the tools and the conditions that teachers need and to fight to ensure that every, every kid, every kid gets a well-prepared and well-supported teacher. Thank you very much. Thank you, Randy Weingarten. Our motion is don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. And now to argue against the motion, because he does blame teacher unions, teachers' unions for the failure of the schools, I'd like to introduce Terry Moe of the Hoover Institution, whose book almost 20 years ago, uh, titled Politics, uh, Politics uh, Markets in America's Schools, uh, was full of ideas that seemed radical at the time and that since then have become uh, actually part of school systems, experimental school systems throughout the country. I don't know whether it's been the pace that you would like, Terry. It's been 20 years. <laughs> yeah, well, it's only 20 years. Okay. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Terry Moe. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Um, I want to thank Intelligence Squared for arranging this event and for putting the spotlight on what, in my view, is the most important issue in American education today, the power of the teachers' unions. Now, I should be clear that our team is not saying that the teachers' unions are responsible for every problem of the public schools. Uh, what we are saying is that uh, the unions are and have long been major obstacles to real reform of the system. And we're hardly alone in saying this. If you read Newsweek, Time Magazine, The Washington Post, and lots of other well-respected publications, they're all saying the same thing, that the teachers' unions are standing in the way of progress. So look, let me start with um, an obvious example. The teachers' unions have fought for all sorts of protections in labor contracts and in state laws that make it virtually impossible to get bad teachers out of the classroom. On average, it takes two years $200,000 and 15% of the principal's total time to get one bad teacher out of the classroom. As a result, principals don't even try. They give 99% of teachers, no joke, satisfactory evaluations, and the bad teachers just stay in the classroom. Well, if we figure that maybe 5% of the teachers, that's a conservative estimate, are bad teachers nationwide, that means that 2.5 million kids are stuck in classrooms with teachers who aren't teaching them anything. This is devastating. 
and the unions are largely responsible for that. Right? They're also responsible for seniority provisions in these labor contracts that, among other things, often allow senior teachers to stake a claim uh, to desirable jobs, even if they're not good teachers, and even if they're a bad fit for that school. Right? These seniority rules often uh, require districts to lay off junior people before senior people. It's happening all around the country now. And some of these junior people are the best teachers in the district. And some of the senior people that are being saved are the worst. Okay, so just ask yourself, would anyone in his right mind organize schools in this way if all they cared about was what's best for kids? And the answer is no. But this is the way our schools are actually organized and it's due largely to the power of the unions. Now, these organizational issues are really important, but they're just part of a larger set of problems. Our nation has been trying to uh, reform the schools since the early 1980s. Right? And the whole time, the teachers' unions have used their extraordinary power in the political process to try to block reform and make sure that real reform just never happens. Consider charter schools. You know, there are many kids around this country who are stuck in schools that just aren't teaching them. They need new options, right? Well, charter schools can provide them with those options. But charter schools are a threat to teachers' unions, right? Because if you give kids choice and they can leave regular public schools, then they take money and they take jobs with them. And that's what the teachers' unions want to stop. And so what they've done is they've used their power in the political process to put a ceiling on the numbers of charter schools. As a result, in this country today, we have 4,600 charter schools. And there are like well over 90,000 public schools. So this is a drop in the bucket. Right? And meantime, charter schools have huge waiting lists of people who are desperate to get in. In Harlem, for example, the charter schools there got 11,000 applications for 2,000 slots recently. Right? So just to give you an idea of how the politics of this works out, in Detroit a few years ago, a benefactor came forth and said he was willing to donate $200 million to set up additional charter schools for the kids in Detroit who obviously need it, right? What did the union do? The union went ballistic, right? They shut down the schools, went to Lansing, demonstrated in the state capitol, and got the politicians to turn down the $200 million for those kids. This is good for kids? I don't think so. This is about protecting jobs. Okay, the same kind of logic applies with accountability. You know, accountability is just common sense. Right? We obviously need to hold schools and teachers accountable for teaching kids what they're supposed to know. Right? But the te teachers' unions find this threatening. They, they say they support accountability, but they don't want teachers held accountable. And any sensible effort to hold teachers accountable they brand as scapegoating teachers. They don't even want teachers' performance to be measured. You know, right here in New York City, Joel Klein indicated a while ago that he was going to use student test scores as one factor in evaluating teachers for tenure. What did the union do? Right? This is something that Obama supports, that Arne Duncan supports, and totally reasonable. And what the union did is they went to Albany and they got their friends in the legislature to pass a law making it illegal 
to use student test scores and evaluating teachers for tenure anywhere in the state of New York. You know, it's just outrageous and makes no sense from the standpoint of what's best for kids. The New York Times called it absurd, right? But this is how the unions approach accountability. Okay, well, I don't have a whole lot of time left here, so let me just quickly say, I think our opponents are going to say tonight, as, as uh, Randy has already said, there's really no conflict between uh, standing up for the jobs of teachers and doing what's best for kids. But the thing is, there is a conflict. And that's why we can't get bad teachers out of the classroom, because they protect them. That's why the schools have totally perverse organizations imposed on them. And that's why totally sensible reforms are fiercely resisted in the political process. Now, what you're going to hear, I'm sure, throughout the evening, is that union leaders and unions around the country, they're actually reformers, too. They want to get bad teachers out of the classroom. They favor charter schools. They're all in favor of accountability, right? Well, not really. Um, talk is cheap, right? What counts is what they actually do. And what they do is to oppose reform. This is the reality. Thank you. Thank you, Terry Moe. Our motion is, don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. And I'd like to introduce our second debater speaking for the motion, not to blame teachers. Kate McLaughlin is an elementary school teacher in Lowell, Massachusetts, at the moment our only active teacher in the debate tonight. Uh, Kate, I understand you have moved on to being a math coach for yes. kids. Do you teach I teach children, well? children and teachers kindergarten through fourth grade. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, Kate McLaughlin. Good evening, everyone. I, too, would like to thank the Rosencrantz Foundation, especially for having a teacher come and speak, because it is a rare occasion for a teacher to actually be able to talk about education. It's usually think tanks and professors and, and others. So I'm, I'm really privileged to be here tonight. Thank you. Um, coming, the first time I heard about this, you know, don't blame teachers unions, I, I too, thought, like Randy, I'm from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, which I'm very proud, proud to say is number one in the country. Our students perform higher than anybody else in this country academically, yet we have the strongest collective bargaining rights in the country. So to me, it just doesn't add up. And, and then I started thinking, I'm, I'm also a doctoral student, so I'm trying to learn as much as I can about research. And so the next thing I did is I went straight to the literature. So even though Professor Moe will say that uh, publications are all saying the same thing. There is no research to support what he is saying. There is no research out there that correlates student achievement to collective bargaining rights, to teacher unionism, either for or against. There's no conclusive evidence. So people can say what they want and publicize it, but that doesn't mean that it's research-based. Um, so with that, what do collective bargaining rights do to improve schools? And I have a lot to say, because not only am I a teacher, I'm the executive vice president of the United Teachers of Lowell, and I deal with this firsthand as a union leader. And for me, what collective bargaining rights do is they provide um, dignity, a way to provide dignity for a profession that, frankly, gets beat up on a lot. Um, and the way that we can do that is we can ensure language that improves working conditions for teachers, 
but also for children. So one example of that, which unfortunately my district has not, my union's not been able to negotiate yet, is something like we could have language for class sizes. So early childhood children would be in smaller classes, which the research shows is good for them, but that's a way we can ensure it is by having it in the teacher's contract. So that's just one example. Um, the other thing that collective bargaining rights help us with at a local level is it ensures academic freedom. And what that means is there are times as a teacher that I need to advocate for the child. And that means I have to say something unpopular, something that an administrator might not appreciate me saying in front of a parent, and I need to be able to do that to be the best teacher that I can be. And I need to be able to do that without fear. And that is why collective bargaining rights are very important. When you are in a classroom, you need to be able to do what you know is best for children. And that is why it is important. Besides families, no one cares more about students and their learning, especially students living in poverty, than their teachers. And what the teachers' unions do at the local level is we serve as a conduit for the teachers. So while my opponents on this motion might say that I have my own agenda, I would argue that is absolutely not true. My agenda is the agenda of the teachers, what the teachers need. So the way that we find that out at a local level, um, the president of our union and the superintendent, along with other members of the executive board, go to the schools and meet with the teachers and find out what they need to get their jobs done. We survey our members, and what they need in their classrooms is our agenda. So, for example, one thing that we've done is we've created what's been called the Department of Education in Massachusetts is called the Cadillac Teacher Induction Program. So the union and management sat down together, it was actually a union-initiated uh, protocol, um, to make sure that every teacher in their first three years of teaching had a qualified and trained mentor. They have access to district-designed graduate-level courses specifically designed so that they can best meet our students in Lowell who often come with second language issues. They have full training in what they need. Um, also with that, the mentors are trained to talk to their mentees about whether they're in the right place or not, and to counsel them out of perhaps urban education if that's not what's meeting their need um, or meeting the children's need, um, and also to help them make better choices. Um, another thing that was union-initiated that is in our contract, um, we call the Lowell Program. It's an in-house graduate program where teachers can get their master's degree, again, the superintendent and her colleagues have decided what the content of the course is, and we work together so that teachers are given the tools that they need. Um, in terms of evaluations, our uh, evaluation procedures in Lowell as negotiated are actually more stringent than what's required by state standard. So our new teachers are evaluated twice every year, whereas the state only mandates once. So in terms of unions advocating for poor evaluation measures, it's just not true. 
uh, the most important thing, in my opinion, about what we've done, and I can't speak to 20 years ago because, unfortunately, I was only in high school, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I can speak to what's happening in schools now. And what we are doing is this labor management union because with all due respect, we've been, the teachers have been told what to do. We've been given scripted curricula from under reading first grants and under these grants, and we found, the teachers found, they were not working for children. We've been told what to do, and now what we need to do is have a seat at the table to be part of the decision making. And so in Lowell, we have begun this journey to build collaborative structures in our district between labor and management so the people at the ground floor, the teachers, can inform the decisions that are made for children so it is indeed what is best for them. Thank you. Thank you, Jane Foster. So here's where we are in this debate. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. Acting as moderator, we have six debaters, three against three, fighting it out over this motion. Don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. We have heard from three debaters, three opening statements, and now on to our fourth to speak against the motion. I'd like to introduce Rod Page, who uh, is famously uh, the U.S. Secretary of Education under the Bush administration, even more famously once called teachers' unions terrorist groups. Um, I knew that was going to come up. It has to come up. Um, and also, uh, his own background in education, he is the son of uh, a school principal in rural Mississippi who, to make ends meet, also worked as a barber, I believe. Is that correct, Rod? That's right. And how times mm -hmm. have changed, or perhaps they have not. Ladies and gentlemen, Rod Page. What is... Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here to convince you to vote against this proposition. All of us know that teachers are not solely to blame for our failing schools, but they bear significant responsibility. And the way this is framed, the only way you can express that is to vote against this proposition. Now, to understand my point of view, you have to realize how powerful these organizations are. To be blunt, teachers' unions represent the most dominant political force in American education. We're not talking about little, wimpy organizations. We're talking about mammoth, highly financed, highly organized, highly peopled organizations. And political dominance is not something that they got unintendedly. They intended to be politically dominant. Here's a quote from Sam Lambert in 1967 about the NEA. NEA will become, the political, become a political power second to no other special interest group. Listen to those words. People could argue now that they've already reached that goal. Teacher unions represent the number one political spender in the United States of America. In the state of California, the NEA spent more in the last decades than any other political spender. And the second political spender spent less, by, by, little better than one half of what the NEA spent. These are powerful, dominant organizations. The NEA has 3.2 million members, 14,000 locals across the United States, 
And last year, in, in 2007, they collected about $400 million from their members to supplement the other revenue streams that they had. The AFT is not a slouch either. They have 1.4 million members, 300 locals across the United States, and they're active in 43 states. The NEA has state offices in every state in the United States. And that's not all. They can call on their political powers, political partners, when they get in trouble. They can call on the AFL-CIO. They can call on ACON. They can call on America, uh, people for the American way. They can call on the Center for Community Change. These are mammoth organizations, and I need you to understand that in order to understand why we take this position. Now, in the American workforce, about 12% of the of workforce is unionized. But in the education professions, it's 38%. Teachers' unions literally have our, many of our schools in a chokehold. This is completely dangerous. Now, power corrupts. Total power corrupts totally. You need to be clear about how they use this power. I try to convince people, and I've heard a lot of this tonight, about children and their members. Don't be fooled. Organizations have one primary interest. They may have some other interests, but they have one main interest. Teacher union's main interest is the welfare of their members. Another quote from an NEA operative. The major purpose of our association, note the word association, they don't even call themselves unions, <laughs> is not the education of children, but rather it is or ought to be the extension and preservation of our members' rights. Now that's just a statement of fact. Organizations can't serve two gods, little g. They serve one. And in the case of teacher unions, it is the interests of their members. Now, let me tell you a live story. In 2000, the Buffalo, teacher, Buffalo School District had about 7,000 members, and they were the most unionized uh, public school system in the United States of America. At 7 a.m. on a school day, the leader of the, of the teachers' union stood on the B Buffalo headquarters steps and called a strike. At 7 a.m., on a school day. Now, many children are already on buses on their way to school. Many parents have already dropped kids off at school, thinking their kids are in the love and care of teachers, mistakenly. Does that sound like an organization that cares about kids? They were arguing for employee rights. I'm going to rush to two more major points that really tick me off to some extent. <laughs> Teacher unions are sitting on both sides of the negotiating table in many cases. They, teacher, teacher unions work with school boards so that they have representative, uh, representatives on the school boards. When I served as the superintendent of Houston, one of my nine school board members was actually an employee of the teachers' union. Fortunately for me, both were reasonable people and we got along rather well, but many school district superintendents don't have that luxury. They have school uh, they have school boards that have teacher union representatives sitting on that side of the table, the union sitting on this side of the table, and they're negotiating with themselves. They're sitting on both sides of the negotiating table. But here's the worst thing, I think, that really fires me up. <laughs> teacher unions 
have awesome power to cause action in schools. They have zero responsibility for the student performance. Now, that's just not fair. That's not fair. It handicaps the principals and the superintendents who are operating with both hands tied behind their back. The teacher unions are calling the rules. They're responsible for student achievement. That's no way to run a ship. And it, and it just simply will not, will, not, will not work that way. Now, here again, I want to be earnest, and I want to be fair. We cannot solely blame teachers' unions for this complex issue we got in our schooling situation. But they do bear significant responsibility. And the only way you can express that is to vote against this motion and indicate that we as a nation, if we're going to really reform our schools, we're going to have to wind back some of the power of teacher unions. We can still have teacher unions. We're not arguing that we shouldn't have teacher unions. Our schools are over-unionized, and consequently, reform has run into a roadblock. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rob Page. Our motion is don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. And now to speak for the motion, and we just heard Rod Page say that superintendents have their hands tied by the unions. Well, Gary Smuts is a school superintendent of the ABC Unified District in California, considered a district where the schools work. And, Gary, you have said in the past you do work effectively and successfully with unions. Ladies and gentlemen, Larry Smuts. Gary, excuse me. I'm sorry. I need to correct that for the record because it's not Larry, it's Gary. It just came out. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, Gary Smuts. Both of us are here tonight. Um, Secretary, Secretary Page, in a wonderful book he wrote with his sister, Dr. Elaine Witte, it was entitled uh, The Black-White Achievement Gap by Closing It as the Greatest Civil Rights Issue of Our Time. He says in the book, being taught to higher levels means educational support from factors outside of school. It involves the support and commitment from the entire education triage, home, school, and community. And Secretary Page's call to improve the effectiveness of our schools recalls an article co-written by Professor Moe entitled Letting Schools Work. In that article, Professor Moe reports, effective schools treat teachers professionally, uh, the teachers share in the school's goals and effective teaching and the pursuit of those goals. They participate extensively in school decisions within their classrooms. They are free to tailor their practices to the needs of their students. That effective schools are organized like teams held together by consensus, cooperation, and shared goals. It sounds like a teacher's union to me. Thank you, Professor Mo. Now, I must clearly delineate my prejudice, my frame of reference. I am from the ABC Unified School District, Southern California, about 21,000 students. We're about 89% diverse, 38 different languages spoken in my school district. We have a remarkable relationship with our affiliate, the ABC AFT. We're affiliated with the National American Federation of Teachers, second largest teachers union in the United States. We formed our own charter, and ABC is not a charter school. We have a charter partnership agreement with the ABCFT, where the main work of the teachers union in my district is student achievement and the conditions that support that. Student achievement is the main work of our teachers union. And in fact, last year, Laura Rico, the president of my teachers union, had a workshop where all the union reps came in and they changed their name from union rep to learning rep. And they were told by the teachers union president, the number one job that you have in this union is student achievement. 
Now, that doesn't sound like a teacher's union that has anything other than their main goal, the main idea that Secretary Page talked about in my district, our union and student achievement. Now, here are some examples of staff development in my district that's jointly sponsored by myself and our, our, our colleagues in American Federation of Teachers. It doesn't, uh, what I'm going to describe to you actually comes from the national AFT, from their educational research and dissemination program. These are some of the courses that are taught by our teachers union. Instructional strategies that work, reading comprehension, school family and community partnerships, supporting student learning, which is actually almost exactly what Secretary Page points out in his book that we need to improve schools. We spend, my, actually my teachers union spends tens of thousands of dollars in direct staff development with our community and our teachers to improve learning. Now, don't blame my district's union for failing schools. In fact, they're one of the reasons my district is successful. Now, we have our challenges. We're a program improvement district. Yet last year, despite $34 million in budget cuts, we doubled the greatest gains in the history of the district. We passed the magic benchmark of 814, uh, 800 actually in California went to 814. We didn't do that despite the teachers' union. We did that because of the teachers' union. Oh, let me give you an example. In my district, 10 of my schools, now these are struggling schools, have just received an innovation grant where each of these schools has a separate program to innovate and improve that school specifically tailored to the needs of that individual school. That innovation grant came from the American Federation of Teachers National Organization. $3.3 million in innovation grants funded the ABC Unified School District, 10 of our 30 schools. Now, that's just not in California or ABC. The, actually, the grant funded uh, programs and districts in eight different states. The American Federation of Teachers National Organization is one of the most innovative programs in the United States. Now, some of the things that, that those innovation grants are funding, in my district, I said partnership efforts in 10 schools. In other districts throughout the United States, there are... Uh, working on community partnerships, they're working on using student assessment data to evaluate teachers, they're also working on creating charter schools. So if you're for charters, if you're for holding teachers accountable uh, using student assessment data, listen to the American Federation of Teachers. Now, Secretary Page, uh, uh, Randy Weingarten agrees with you that great teachers make the real difference in closing the achievement gap. In fact, the Washington Post reported in January that Randy said, Fair, transparent, and expedient processes to identify and deal with ineffective teachers need to be developed. And she specifically pointed to student assessment data. Now, her, her, her direction was put in action most recently in the New Haven Federation of Teachers District by a vote of 842 to 39. That district agreed to use student assessment data to evaluate teachers. In addition, they agreed that the city could close schools if they didn't work and change the employees. Now, twice each year, American Federation of Teachers hosts, hosts the Schenker Institute. I've been proud to be part of that since 2005. Let me tell you what we learned at the Schenker Institute. These are different workshops. State standards curriculum, bridging the gap. Partnering for reform in troubled times. Improving the quality and the use of student assessment data. The union's role in ensuring that teacher quality matters uh, teacher quality meets student needs. In every seminar I've been to, there's never been a session on how to keep crummy teachers. 
They don't do that. And in fact, in most cases, the superintendents I know that work closely with teachers unions find that we release more teachers to, ind to other industries uh, than we do keeping them. In fact, in nearby Brooklyn, uh, there's the uh, United Federation of Teachers Teacher Institute, and they do much the same thing. They use data, talk about communication, team building, professional development, and action planning. States with teachers unions set the highest standards, according to Education Week. U.S. News and World Report reported on the most 25 most successful schools. Six out of ten of those schools come from states with strong teachers unions. Success, high standards, accountability, if you want that, support teachers' unions in schools where that works. Thank you. Gary Smuts. Okay, now we have our Larry. That's where I got mixed up. I'd like to introduce, to speak against the motion, and our motion is don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. Our next debater does blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. Larry Sand is a retired teacher and former teachers' union member who grew disillusioned with the operation, he founded the California Teachers Empowerment Network, and I've seen, Larry, you described in print as a pain in the union's backside. <laughs> I assume we'll see okay. why. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Larry, thank uh, Well, I'm glad Gary brought up uh, Mr. Shanker, because he's alleged to have said when school children start paying dues, that's when I'll start representing them. Now, I don't know if he did say that, uh, some people think he did, some say no. But that has been the teachers' union attitude ever since I began my teaching career here in New York City in 1971. In educating children, there is nothing more valuable than a dedicated and gifted teacher and nothing more harmful and destructive than a bad one. And it's those teachers, the mediocre and the incompetent ones, that the unions typically represent. In fact, they punish good teachers in numerous ways. Unions insist that school districts not pay good teachers what they're worth. They insist on an archaic factory model of payment whereby teachers make more money by years on the job, not productive years, just by calendar progression. Considered the greatest teacher of our time, Jaime Escalante, subject to the film Stand and Deliver, now unfortunately near death in his native Bolivia, attracted national attention at Garfield High School in Los Angeles with his spectacular success teaching college-level calculus to gang members and other unteachables. Talk about poor students. What was the problem? Because he was willing to have more students in his class than the United Teachers of Los Angeles contract allowed for, he was basically run out of town by that union. When there are layoffs due to budget cuts, do the worst teachers get laid off? No. Due to permanence, or tenure, a union must in every contract, the newest hires are let go. Your teacher of the year, too bad. You double test scores, too bad. But the unions will go to any length, any length, to save the job of a bad tenured teacher. If you think I'm exaggerating, here's a quote from an LA union rep. If I'm representing them, it's impossible to get them out. It's impossible unless they commit a lewd act. End quote. And maybe not even then. <laughs> You're laughing. This is a true story, and this didn't happen very long ago. X was a former colleague. He's alleged to have touched a female student inappropriately. There were witnesses. 
the female student would not press charges. So they put X into the district office for a while, the so-called rubber room, which probably most of you know of. They decided to put him, got a union lawyer, they put him in another school. He apparently did the same thing. Back to the rubber room. Sitting, sitting. Finally, one day, I guess he got bored, he decided to bring porn to the district office, the rubber room. He got caught. With the union lawyer's help, he got put back into a school, another school, the third school now. And in short order, he got caught showing his female students some of his pornography collection. Now, the last I heard, he's back in the district office waiting for his union lawyer to make the next move. This is the kind of guy that really needs the union. Not a dedicated teacher, not an honest teacher. This is the kind of guy who really needs the union. By the way, the guy I'm talking about, Mr. X, is really a pussycat compared to some of the teachers you have in New York. Just reading some things about a, and I'm only saying his name because it's in the newspapers, of Francisco Olivares, who impregnated one of his students and is still on the payroll. Another instance of my middle school involved a teacher who decided to sunbathe topless on the athletic field at lunch. <laughs> it was a nice spring day, you know. Um, what happened? With the union's help, she was put back into school in an elementary school this time. As a, a, once again, a union rep in his own words. I've gone in and defended teachers who shouldn't even be pumping gas. Not my quote. This is a union rep. That's the mentality. Unions today function more like, functions more, more like criminal lawyers than partners in education reform. Very importantly, too, the unions love the status quo and will fight to keep it. In California recently, uh, education reformer uh, Bill Evers was attacked by a local union for trying to get Singapore math, a, a new and innovative way of teaching the subject. But because learning all the different things you had to do to teach this was a little bit too much for some of the teachers, the unions decide to kill it. Very importantly, the unions are constantly trying to limit the number of charter schools. The Cartel, an excellent film by Bob Bowden about public education, has one of the most affecting scenes I've ever seen on film. It shows parents and children waiting to see if they won the lottery, that is, if they got into the charter school. If charter schools have more children than seats available, very simply, they hold a lottery. And in this scene, the camera goes in to, close on the faces of the children and the, and the parents who w are winning the lottery and getting into the charter school, and they're thrilled, and you feel happy for them. And then they go into the people who didn't win, and these people are crying and sad, and you feel horrible for them. Very affecting scene. But these tears of joy and anger, excuse me, tears of joy and sadness turn to anger because you realize the unions are constantly fighting the establishment of charter schools as the UTLA did, by the way, just about two weeks ago in Los Angeles. They were very successful at killing charter schools. Another abominable example, um, I'm going to speak a little quickly because I'm running out of time. The DC Opportunity Scholarship Program it was created to rescue at least some children from the horrible school district, Washington, DC. We spent $27,000 per student, probably the worst school system in the country. 1,700 kids mostly poor, mostly black, won the lottery, which gave them a $7,500 scholarship to get into the best schools they could, private or parochial. The program was a great success. The kids look forward 
to, to going to school for the first time. They thrived. The parents were happy. The taxpayers saved money. The only ones unhappy were the unions, who cannot abide any competition for the government-run monopolies, even though it has been shown that where school choice exists, public schools improve. I will close with a quote from Juan Williams, uh, who said about this situation, the NEA seems far more devoted to its members than they are of the children they teach, it doesn't seem to bother them that they continue to fail the nation's most vulnerable children. Amen to that, Mr. Williams. Thank you. Thank you, Larry Sam. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared debate. And we now have the results of our initial vote where we asked you, the live audience, to Tell us where you stand on this motion. Our motion is, don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. Before the debate, the vote went like this. Those for the motion, those who say it's not the teacher's fault, 24%. Those who blame teachers' unions for our failing schools against the motion, 43%. And we have 33% undecided. We'll ask you to vote once again at the end of the debate. And the team that changes the most minds during the course of the debate will be declared our winner. Now on to round two. This is our middle round in which the debaters talk directly to one another and take questions from me and also from you in the audience. And I want to begin with a couple of specifics, specific charges that were laid out there but not really responded to. Terry Moe specifically saying that teachers' unions operate against the whole notion of charter schools, that they try to stop them wherever they find them. I want to hear from the other side, true or not true. Let's start with Randy Weingarten. Well, given that the United Federation of Teachers, under my watch, started two charter schools in East New York, it's totally and completely untrue. What we want to do is we want charters to be held to the same accountability standards, including the ones that we started, um, as any other school. And what the evidence has been in New York, um, like the evidence around the country, is that charter schools, instead of, as Diane Ravitch said, should take more of the most at-risk kids, are actually taking fewer <coughs> special needs kids and fewer kids with limited English proficiency. So we've opened to, we think charters could be a great incubator for instructional practice and could be a great incubator for labor relations practice. But Terry, I don't want New York to be as much of an evidence-free zone as Washington, D.C. seems to be, which means let's look at the Credo study, which was done um, with a pro-charter advocate. What they said was where 17% of the charters are better than public schools, 34% are worse, and the rest are the same. The idea is to actually find what works, make it sustainable, and make it replicable. That's what we're trying to do, and that's what I'm trying to Terry do. Terry Moe, Randy Weingarten is saying, no, it's not true that they are against all charter schools. Well, let me first point out that New York State has a cap on the number of charter schools. It has a cap because this union put it there. And <laughs> even under the pressure of race to the top, they wouldn't lift the cap. Actually, right? So this is not an organization that's in favor of charter schools. They've done everything they can to keep charter schools down. What they're doing now in New York City is they're running three charter schools to show, if they can, that unionized charter schools can work because what they want to do is to unionize all the charter schools. 
That's the only reason they're doing it. Randy. I mean, you know, what's interesting, Terry, is that I didn't know you were in my head so much. We are not running charter schools to unionize all charter schools. Where did the what gap come from? What we wanted to do, what we wanted to do was actually the New York City and state unions were in favor of lifting the cap and in favor of creating a level playing field to make sure that all kids could equally get into all schools. And if you recall, New York State became one of the finalists for Race to the Top. So obviously, whatever happened in the state legislature didn't disqualify it from Race to the Top. The bottom line is, we need schools, all schools, charter, public, private, to be places where parents want to send their kids and where educators want to work. That's the bottom line. How do we help all kids? Not just some kids, but all kids. Let me, do you want to respond? Because I want to move on to another question, but if you'd like to respond I'll on this side, make, you can. I'll just make one point. I mean, this is the standard response that is really all about kids, right? But the fact of the matter is, they're trying to keep the number of charter schools down. They're responsible for this cap in New York State. And everything else is just a rationalization. You know, Terry, I wish we had the kind of power. Randy, I, I want to move on. Um, Kate McLaughlin, who is arguing. Charter schools in LA. Uh, there's charter schools in LA. And there's Gary Smuts. I'm going to let you go, Gary Smuts. I just Sorry. want to identify. Charter you. schools in LA, and there's magnet schools in LA. LA Times article about two months ago by Howard Bloom pointed out that the most successful schools in the LA Unified School District are magnet schools. Now these aren't schools that shut down, get rid of kids, get rid of teachers. These are schools that have a special focus, that keep their faculty. If you want the most successful schools in the LA area, it's not charters, it's not traditional schools, it's magnet schools that have the same configuration, the same union. If you want success, go with magnets. Don't go with charters, and don't even go with traditional schools. One more response from this side. Are, are those charters, are those magnet schools, schools of choice? Most of the magnet, all of the magnet schools, 10 of my schools. Those schools are schools of choice. I'll answer, the, I'll answer it a bit in my district. I have 10 magnet schools in my district. Students can, no student leaves those schools, no teachers leave those schools. Same because students, they choose same to teachers. be there. We invite other students. Substantially, though, better than 95% of the students are the same students that have always been there. And those schools are successful. Larry Sand. Here in New York City, in, in Harlem, we have very successful charter schools like KIPP, Democracy Prep, uh, Harlem Success. The parents, as far as I know, there aren't enough to keep up with the demand, yet Randy is saying that seems to have a problem with charters, so she wants to go very slowly. It seems that the parents want these things because most of their kids are in hell holes. Now, this is, not the, this is not the union's fault that they're in hell holes necessarily, but it's the union's fault because they keep them in hell holes. Yes. The best from, from a local standpoint in Lowell, Massachusetts, it's quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. They're actually closing, the, they actually forced, they wanted to close the charter school and we actually appealed on their behalf, so they have to cut the school right. in half and stop teaching middle schoolers, and we will absorb those students You're back You're saying that in the, the union schools. stood up for the charter school? And the, the school system. Um, but what you don't know, again, you say, oh, teachers are against charter schools. 
You're no, making no, no, up the story. You're making up the story of why I am. Let me tell Kate, you why actually, I am. Actually, they're not saying that. They are saying the teachers, teachers unions use, use political teachers power. Teachers teachers use political power. And this is a classic trick. The no, they say teachers. From a we're saying teacher unions. Rod Page, I want to let Kate finish. From a local standpoint, we from this charter school that was going to be announced got students back from this charter school, which we welcomed. We don't get the funding for them for another year. So when the teachers unions bring up this issue, we're somehow against charter schools. There are major issues about the funding that comes with it. But when we speak it up, we're somehow obstructionists. That is not the case. The other issue about charter schools for me and for my teachers union is it's an equity issue. And my teachers union president has gone even to the governor and suggested that if, if charter schools are truly innovative, they should be a draft and not a cream of the crop selection. They are not and a cream of the and, crop. That and, that's, and it is a total equity issue because we've all agreed that achievement gaps come from school-based issues, mm -hmm. they come from social issues, and they come from economic issues. And if you alone base a lottery on which parents have gone to sign up, you have already changed some of those issues. So it is an equity issue. They to don't the cream. Larry Sand. Go see Bob Bowden's film. You tell me those the parents and those kids are the cream. These are poor we, people. Maybe they're the cream of the poor people. I don't know. <laughs> let's bring this back to the let's bring Kate, let's bring this back to the issue of unions. And I want to go to the side that is arguing that un teachers' unions are to be blamed for the failure of the schools. And the other side, your opponents are arguing. Uh, two of your opponents used in their arguments the point that there is no real correlation between states that have uh, strong teachers' unions and poor academic achievement. Kate McLaughlin, your opponent, said there is absolutely no research on that. And Randy Weingarten pointed to the numbers of states where actually there were strong unions and strong school results. I'd like one of you to respond to that. Yeah, I, I'd be happy to respond Sorry to that. I, I don't know where this stuff comes from, really. Uh, look, um, you know, many, 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 many factors influence student achievement. And to say, basically, schools in the South don't do as well as schools in the North, which is true, and the schools in the South don't have unions, and the schools in the North do, and to say, gee whiz, it must be because unions are good for schools. <laughs> you know, I, don't try that at a university. You know, it doesn't wash. So, look. As, as far as the research goes, I don't know where Kate's getting this. I mean, there is a research literature. Um, actually, it's pretty big, you know, on the impact of collective bargaining on uh, student achievement. Um, she says there's nothing. There is plenty. You know, it, it started ba sort of back in the 1980s. Uh, most of the literature, I think, is not good, but that's typical of most of social science. You know, a lot of this stuff is bad, you know. And part of the reason is that things are complicated. It's very hard to do good studies. So you can't just, like, count up studies. The, the results in this literature are pretty mixed, uh, and I think it's partly because, A, it's complicated, and, B, a lot of the studies don't do it very well. But there are two studies that are actually in very top-level journals, right? They've been through very rigorous peer review process. Uh, they are one by Carolyn Hoxby in the Quarterly Journal of Economics, 1996. Another one is by me in the... <laughs> but that one's really good. Huh? Yeah, this, it's a lot better than Caroline's. Um, 
And, and it is in the American Journal of Political Science, 2009. Both these studies show through a quantitative analysis, both of them very extensive, that the impact of collective bargaining on student achievement is negative. Okay. Randy Weingarten, Teachers Union President. So, Terry, you've actually just made the point that I think many of us are trying to make on this side, which is it is complicated. There is not one factor that um, either causes student success or, um, uh, or, or is an obstacle to it. And that's exactly what we're trying to say. So ultimately, just like we did not say that teacher unions were the reason why Maryland or Massachusetts or New York was so successful, and by the way, that was just in Quality Counts from Education Week. We were not the ones that said that Finland or Japan were most successful. We're just saying that those are the correlations. Now, there is one person who used to actually agree with you hugely, Diane Ravitch, who in looking at much of the evidence over the course of time, whether it was on charters or whether it was on vouchers, has actually just written a book saying, slow down, the evidence of these kind of market strategies just doesn't work. My point is this. Whether you look at, everyone is going to find anecdotes to fit into their case. That's not going to help one more child learn. We are searching for what actually works. So regardless of the quotes one may hurl at me from the NEA or from other places, I stand by the record that we have in turning around schools in New York City. Mr. Rudy Crew, who was sitting there, and I together did probably the most important um, reform strategy in New York in the late 1990s, early 2000s, where we actually turned around schools in Harlem. We turned around schools in New York City. We want to make sure every single child has a choice once they have a choice for a charter, so be it. But every child should have a choice for a neighborhood high school or a neighborhood school. And Larry, last point to you, which is this. Just recently, unlike what you said about LA, in LA, there were 36 schools that were put up for grabs by the LA school board. The charters loved this. They wanted this competition. And in that competition, Regular school teachers, supported by their union, won 29 of the 36 schools because of their plans. The bottom line is we need to do the things that Gary and Kate talked about in terms of helping all kids, well-prepared and supported teachers, real engaged curriculum, safe and orderly environments, which is what we see in charter schools all the time, good good management that works together. And at the end of the day, if we have to find ways, as I said in 2004, to police our own profession, fire teachers that are not making the grade, we want to do that. That's who this teacher's union is. Okay, we want the best and the brightest for all of our young people all in right, this country. All right, I gave you quite a long Sorry. run on that. Um, and I, I want to... I want, that's all right, but I do want to urge us to stay as close as possible to our motions, and I think all of us probably share a sense that we want things to improve, but I want to discourage too much grandstanding on the point because we really want to get to the issue at hand. Um, 
I want to go to the audience. And that's not to say that any of us disagree with that, just the nature of the debate. I want to go to the audience for questions now, and what we'll do is have microphones circulate, circulate in the aisles. And if you raise your hands and I identify you, please stand and I'll bring a microphone to you. Hold it about a fist's distance away from your mouth so that the radio audience can hear you. And um, I want to urge you to actually ask questions and to try to move this debate along in the area in which we are talking and not to make grandstanding speeches or to debate the debaters. They're here to debate each other, I hope prompted by you. And as a gentleman, this person with eyeglasses there, getting the microphone now, if you could just rise, sir, and identify yourself. I'll make two, state, two I sentences. I, I, I would rather that you just make one statement and go to a question. Yes, okay. We don't, you don't have problem with having a good car. You know which cars are good and you can choose. In all this debate, there was parents who were basically forgotten. And the question is, in the last two, three de decades, have teachers' union helped parents to know which teachers are good and which teachers are bad? And second, have they helped parents during the last two, three decades, not last two, three years, help parents to be able to choose good teachers? All right, I'm going if to take you this. allow, I Thank can you, sir. move on. We, we get the question. point, and I, we need to move on. So I think the question probably, you can both sides can respond, but pro probably is primarily directed to this side. And I also think it's a rephrasing of a question or a statement that's been put forward by your opponents who argue that the interests of teachers' unions are not the interests of the children. And neither, none of you have actually addressed that particular point directly. Their point being, as has been stated, that teachers' unions are there to grow their numbers, to protect their salaries, to protect seniority. And in terms of those specifics, if you can connect that to the gentleman's question, is it good for the kids and is it good for the parents in knowing wh who, what teachers are good and what uh, teachers are bad? taught for 14 years Gary and never, never did I grade a test or work with my class thinking that about my standing in the teachers' union. That doesn't even go through your mind. Uh, I, I would agree that teachers' unions don't rank teachers, but neither do administrators. There, there's, there's no ranking of teachers in any school by anybody. I don't even know if it's possible. I don't even know if it's desirable. Uh, it wouldn't be something I would recommend that management do or teachers' unions do. I don't think it can be done. I don't think it necessarily should be done. There are a variety of factors. We've all had teachers that have been enormously, enormously successful with some folks and not very successful with others. Uh, you can't blame teachers' union for not ranking teachers because nobody ranks teachers like that. And what about the part of the question I brought to Because this is an itch I need scratched. The, the whole issue that the, the objective of a union is not the same thing as an objective of taking care of the kids in the best possible way in the educational system. No. It's not th that's not true in my district. They changed their name from union rep to learning rep. And it's not. Um, no, um, no well, you, you, you can no, laugh at that. Look, it's not. But I mean, before, it is, let's hear this out. It's the number one focus of the teachers union. And in the workshop where that was done, what they worked on were all of the strategies and te techniques to produce successful students. The number one job, according to my union president, of the union reps that are the learning reps in my district is student achievement, and we work together to do that. It's the most, one of the most powerful forces in our district. I've had great administrators, and they work with teachers to produce successful students. Why would you want it any other way? Fighting each other doesn't work. It's a dumb plan to fight each other and say one side's going to win and one side's going to lose. I don't believe in that. 
you, you know you got to work together, and if you don't, it is never going to work. That side said that you never, Mr. Uh, Secretary Page said, you're never going to do away with teachers unions. He doesn't want to do that. If that's the truth, then we better start working together or we're going to die together. I think if you, if you look at the, rather than... Randy, listen, could you hold I'm a minute sorry. because we just, we've had okay. quite a bit from this side and I will come back to you. Terry Moe, I, I indicated you could respond to this. Terry Moe. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say that basically the teachers unions don't want teacher performance to be measured. And uh, they especially don't want uh, any information to get out about how well teachers do. Uh, uh, actually, the, the testing uh, technology is quite sophisticated now. Um, and uh, it's possible, you know, not just to, like, do value-added calculations for how much kids learn uh, during a year, but also to uh, take into account through statistical controls, student background characteristics, how much students know at the beginning of the year so that you can control for that and so on. And so it is certainly possible to do these things in a, a very systematic and rigorous and fair way. Um, and I think what we're going to be moving toward eventually, unless the teachers unions are able to block it, is a system where we have information on teacher performance under a variety of conditions, and we move towards transparency, where it is possible to let people know, you know, what teachers are good and what teachers are not good, because if teachers are not good, people should know that so that they don't put their kids in those classrooms. It's very important. Randy Weingarten. Rod, let me just bring in Randy Weingarten, please. Granted, so, there's no Rod, Rod, I'd like to bring in Randy Weingarten, okay. and then I'll come back to you. Okay. I will. So the, the question is, what the question I think, John, you keep on asking is, um, what's the teacher union job? And if you look at the three of us, and you actually listen to our members, you're absolutely right. We are paid to listen to our members because very few other people actually do listen to the voices of teachers. There was a Gates study recently that said that of 40,000 teachers, that said that of overwhelmingly what they wanted, number one issue, is they wanted to be supported, they wanted to be respected. That is very similar to polling that we've taken of our members and very similar to what I see when I was a local union president where we have the most extraordinary people in New York City teaching in our classrooms. What we see is that members by a four to one and five to one margin have said to us they want us to fight for the tools and conditions they need to do their jobs. And ultimately, when we try to fight for budgets for schools, when we try to fight for equity, when we try to fight to ensure that class sizes are low and that they're safe and reasonable environments for kids so that kids don't get bullied, when in some ways we try to fight for the things that I know the Harlem parents have tried to fight for in the schools that they have. That's the integration between teacher unions and kids. All right, Rod Page. Well, my comment goes back to the ranking of teachers. And, and I'll, I'll admit uh, that I could agree that there's no formal ranking of teachers, but let me tell you, there is a ranking of teachers. Uh, while I served as superintendent of schools in Houston, it was very clear to me that the kids know who the best teachers are. They know who the poor teachers are. The other teachers know who the poor teachers are. They know who the bad teachers are, too. There's very much clear ranking, and this is not ambiguous at all. 
The ranking is there. We don't use it in a formal way uh, to make policy, but it, they're ranked. I'd like to go to another question. Before I do that, just for radio, I want to say the following. We are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have six debaters, two teams of three, debating this motion, don't blame the teachers' unions for our failing schools. To another question, right down front, and then I'll start moving to this side. Can you please rise? Thank you. Hi, my name is Alexis Moore, and I'm a sophomore at Princeton University and the Vice President of Students for Education Reform. And this week, I'm here with a group of 15 undergraduates who are studying education reform here in New York City. Can you, can you get to your question, please? Yes. <laughs> Half of us are tutoring at Paul Robeson High School, which is slated for closure. Um, and last year, Robeson's four-year graduation rate I really dipped need you towards to get, 40%. Please go to get to your question, okay? And the UFT has come out in opposition to the closure of the school, which would open up new options for people in that neighborhood and those students. This question goes to um, the side for the motion. Why come out against the closure of a poor school? Thank you. Thank you. Do you feel you had enough information, or did I suppress I think, too much? I think none of us have enough information yeah, I, about the specifics. I probably have more than the rest of us, but I don't. Um, let me let me tell you about two other schools that I know about well. Um, Meaning, you know, I, I, I don't actually, know about let, I don't know about Robeson, but I do know. Randy, let's I'm let's sorry. move on. Um, I, with respect to your question, and I did push you to cut to the chase. I, I think there wasn't enough information, and I don't think the panel's familiar enough with it. So I'm going to move on. But thank you very much. To this side, right down front, and if you could stand, please. And could you wait for just one second? I want to make sure the camera finds you. My name is Denise. Could, could all for just one second? Okay, thank you. My name is Denise Saul, and I, too, am a teacher. I taught in public and private. I'd like to know how many teachers there are in New York State and how many teachers were fired this year. <laughs> and one other part of my question Randy is Weingarten. how I many union people are in this, teachers union people are in this audience? First, let's answer the first question. I'm going to ponder <laughs> the second one. I mean, I wish I was actually... Um, so, do you want to ask how many? Um, you know, the problem I have with asking how many I mean, uh, unionized really teachers care. are in the audience is I'm not sure how to ask the right. other side of the question. Um, right. And we're open to everybody. And if there's a notion that the audience is packed, that's not, not something we can control. Uh, so let I'd me, rather not me, have a, an say, identification phase. Let me just say there was no attempt on any of our parts to either pack the audience or to um, give people invitations other than the six or ten that um, invitations that I received. So um, there's no, there was no attempt to do any of that. Now, having said that, but there's a suspicion which is interesting, well, which, you know, which, 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 no, seriously, Randy, which I, which right, I think goes to what the, the tone of, of the right. lack of trust is. Well, but I think that the the tone. Um, what I have experienced in terms of New York City is that in a, um, most teachers right now, as we're speaking, are at home actually grading papers and marking lessons. And frankly, from my perspective, when I was the teachers union president here, I never actually asked people to come or pack an audience or do these things from my perspective. I can't talk for other than myself. In terms of 
the question about firing. What tends to happen in the teaching ranks is that there is a huge attrition rate of teachers. And so you have essentially half the new teachers within the first five to seven years actually leave the profession because it is such a tough, tough, tough place to work. And whether it's because they don't get the support that they need or a variety of other things, whether it's salaries or other things, what you see is that you use both the statistics of how many people have attrited out. And in New York City last year, my understanding was that about 30 to 40 percent of the teachers, um, or about 30 percent of the new teachers attrited out within the first five years. In terms of firing, I don't know what the statistic is, but I will tell you in terms of the peer intervention process and program that we started in 1987, first under my predecessor, Sandy Feldman, and then myself, we actually counseled um, hundreds of teachers out of the profession who we thought, after we tried to help them, were not up to snuff. Let me come to Larry Sand. Yeah, I'd, if you send me an email Thursday morning, I will get you an answer to your question. I'll give you an answer to a question, though, that you didn't ask, which was how many teachers got fired in New York State, excuse me, New York City, and in 2008, it was 10 out of 55,000. Does that mean that there are 54,990 competent <laughs> teachers in New that York? actually is not, Larry, that's actually not true. There were, in, 19, in 2008, the last year I was here, there were over a thousand teachers that were terminated for lots of different reasons. Hey Larry, do you, did you want to continue your point? I want to ask you whether that question was a plant or not. No, it, it, <laughs> never I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Do you, do you want to continue your point? Uh, I have very different right, statistics I, than Randy. I think you made it. Uh, I'd like to go a little farther up. Black T-shirt. Can you rise and wait just a second? You're in a little bit of darkness, so it'll take the camera a second to adjust. And uh, they. They found you. Thank you. Go ahead, sir. Uh, first of all, Mr. Spots, thanks. Smuts, I'm sorry. Thanks for your sharing your ideas about the uh, union in your area. I'm thinking of changing my name to Handsome Genius and see if that uh, <laughs> works as well for me as it did for you. But my question for <laughs> is for um, the union representatives here is, you know, you, you keep making the case that uh, we should uh, be listening to teachers and that uh, everyone's thinking about the best interests of the children. But shouldn't we be listening to parents first and Absolutely. not? So why are you standing in the schoolhouse door and stopping parents from having the choice of where to send their children to school? Kate McLaughlin, can you take that one? And again, I, I firmly admit this. I am a Lowell girl, and I don't know everything that goes on in the big wide world, but our public schools in Lowell are all choice schools. There are no neighborhood schools. We're a, a city of a little over 100,000 people. We have 23 schools, um, and parents choose. It used to be based on themes, much like the magnet schools, but unfortunately with the high stakes testing, the themes have gone to the wayside and all of the well-meaning grants with mandates attached. So I can't speak to that, but the parents do have the choice. So I actually am a parent of a Lowell Public School child um, and I went to the central office and registered him. I put down my top three choices for schools, um, very much like what you're all advocating for. And that's okay. our public school system, and that's all Let's hear uh, from something our union supports. My district has Gary Smuts, your teammate. Uh, 29 regular K-12 
kindergarten, middle, and I mean elementary, middle, and high school, one adult school. We're schools of choice. We have uh, one third of our schools are magnet schools. Where parents can make choices. Every school in our district has a school site council where parents are represented. Uh, the school board, parents from the district, is a very powerful influence in our school district, as it should be. Um, and we, we have board advisory committees that are made up of all parents in the district that right. report regularly. Let to me the ask Rod Page, what do you hear, what do you make of what he's just saying now? Well, I'm not sure what what, how to, what to make of that. Actually, you're saying that choice is good. Yeah. Yes. I want to hear plenty of that. <laughs> and, we and we've had choice since choice I was in elementary school all, in the Lowell mm -hmm. Public Schools. We, we all believe that public school choice is good, and we have never, I, I know there's an issue here in terms of what must be going on in New York City right now, because obviously I feel the heat in this room about that. But ultimately, we believe in far broader choice and that every parent should have a, a public neighborhood school in which to send his or her kids and then ultimately have the broadest possible choices. New York City has actually the broadest high school choice program of any school district in the nation. Terry Mo. Look, this is all in code, right? So basically, the unions are in favor of choice as long as the schools that kids can choose to move into are unionized. And so they're all in favor. This is just true. So they're all in favor of public school choice. Right? And that means, what, what she really means is moving from one regular public school to another regular public school, they're all unionized, they're all under the contract. Right? Charter schools are public schools. Right? But the unions have done everything they can to keep the number of charter schools down everywhere. Right? Gary Smuts, Gary Smuts response. Well, to that. we don't have any charters in our school district, Nobody's, you know, anybody that's applied, uh, the trouble is they hadn't, the couple that did, didn't adopt the California state curriculum, and that's a requirement in California. There's charter schools that just started a whole bunch up in Los Angeles. Uh, charters in Southern California aren't, don't, aren't that particularly the the, but Terry's bottom line point was that when teachers are talking about charter schools uh, and schools in general, they're all for change and choice, but not if the school is not unionized. Do you think that that's a fair well, point? It's a little hard in California because we're a teacher union state, so other than so, the Catholic so that school, no, it, it, Catholic it, school system right, is the second, <laughs> second Mo, largest I, system in the I country. Take, yeah, I take total exception because my issue as a union leader about charter schools, if they are public schools, and this is my experience as a teacher and hearing from the other teachers, why is it when a child needs an outside placement that cost over $100,000, the charter school sends them back to the public schools to pay for. If they are a public school, that, that is their student, they should support it. But, but Kate, it. to the point, do, do unions only want unionized schools? Unions? No, let me ask Kate, because Sorry. she's in mid-flow here. As, as a union leader, I see what collective bargaining does for a school in a school system. Is that a yes? I believe... Yes. No, it's... I, I think it's a complicated question to answer honestly. Okay. No, to All answer right. honestly. I believe in unionism, and I believe that a lot of the charter schools are for profit. And I think that unions help keep the ideals of American values 
in our schools. Randy that Randy is my American honest answer. Look. Let, actually, I want to come to you, Randy, but I want to give Larry a chance just to keep this even handed. In addition, you're talking about choice. It's very interesting. In the big cities, 40% of public school teachers send their own children to private schools which are not unionized. What does that tell you? Randy Weingarten. The last, the last year I was in the United States Congress, about 35% of the United States Congress sent their children to private schools also. Randy Weingarten. The overwhelming number of teachers opt to join a union because whether it's in New York State or other places, everyone has a choice as to whether or not to join a union. And ultimately, people, um, they, excuse, excuse me. Right, let's let Randy finish your point and I'll come to you. Legally, everyone has the choice. In New York City, they have the choice. All over the country, they have the choice. They may not have the choice about whether or not to pay for the services the union renders, but they have the choice to join the union. And in New York City, 96% of the people who teach in New York City opt to join the union. Now the issue around the country, and I believe the same way as Kate, I had lots of opportunities in my life to do lots of different things. I chose not only to be a teacher, but I chose to be a union representative. I chose to do this because I believe in my heart and in my soul that what unions do for kids and for teachers, as well as for working people, is to lift all boats. I said this initially. I said we are not perfect, just like superintendents are perfect, secretaries of education aren't perfect, <laughs> presidents of the United States of America aren't perfect. But at the end of the day, if you look at the historic record, when the unions had the kind of clout they used to have in this country, we had a vibrant middle class. What we are trying to do as a trade union movement is to ensure that kids get the services that they need and to ensure that teachers get what they need to do a good job. Terry, Terry Moe, the yeah. last part of that, can that not be true, in fact? Okay, no, but, 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 but respond to her point. Well, what, what was the point that you want me to respond to? <laughs> She made a lot of points. Her last point was that, that, that cre creating a situation where teachers are protected and comfortable, safe, uh, and Kate had also earlier made the point, uh, safe from various kinds of, uh, uh, vicissitudes, of vicissitudes of, uh, of administration, that they can take chances in the classroom, that they can do all of those things if they have some sort of protection. And there's a logic to that, and yeah. I would like you to respond to it. All right. Um, I, I think that... Uh, First of all, there are laws against uh, arbitrary treatment, um, against discrimination, and so on, that just apply to workers generally. And so what I would like to hear is why it is that teachers are so vulnerable to these things that they're a special category of people in the United States, that, that they, of all these people, deserve to have a job for life so that they can't be fired for incompetence. Well, teachers shouldn't have a job for life, and they should be fired for incompetence. The issue, and I said this a couple of months ago in a speech that neither you nor Larry nor Rod 
have actually acknowledged in the um, in in the work that you've or the the um, statements you've made today, we want to have valid and reliable evaluation systems. Teachers do not like when they are just simply thrown the keys and told do it. There are many of us when we first started teaching who had real frustrations in terms of not being able to connect to kids, not knowing how to do the things we needed to do. And ultimately what we yearn for is to have real development and evaluation um, programs. And in fact, Larry, I said just two months ago, student learning must count as part of teacher evaluation. And ultimately, what the ABC School District is doing, what actually the Central Falls School District was doing before the teachers were fired en masse, was to try and create these evaluation systems that Arnie Duncan and I have both said are really required. Terry Mo, or do you, Terry, do you want to cede to your partner, Larry? Because Larry, I thought you had your hand up if I'm wrong. Uh, well, I was actually, Larry Sand. I was going to address another issue of Randy's that she made earlier, or? Sure. Okay. Remind I mean, us briefly what it was. Well, she said 96% of teachers, I believe, choose to be in the union in mm -hmm. New York. Is that? I'm mm -hmm. saying in New York City. Right, okay. It, if you're interested in real choice, for people who don't know, New York is a non-right-to-work state, which essentially means you have to join the union, as is California. That's actually not true. Larry. Okay, well, let, let me finish, Randy, please. In California, you pay $1,000 a year to the union. It's actually even a little more than that. If you opt out of the union, you don't get a choice to opt in. If you opt out, you get back about $300. $700 still goes to the union whether you want it or not. It's like getting a divorce from your wife that you never wanted to marry in the first place and you're still paying alimony. <laughs> Let's go to one more question. Um, on this side, yellow shirt, and I really hope it's good because you might be our last question. And make it a question. Um, as everyone stated on this side of the table that the real um, meaning or purpose behind the unions is to look out for the kids. If something were to benefit the kids in any of your school districts, but it meant approving a salary reduction, would you vote for that salary reduction? A lot of unions have done that. And what we're seeing is, um, what we've seen is, I know I've negotiated when I was in New York City, as did my predecessor, Sandy Feldman. We negotiated deferral agreements. We negotiated, we just negotiated changes in pensions in order to save money for kids. I know okay, Randy, in ABC I want to move on, they've done we, that we as well. We take your point that the answer is yes, it does happen. Purple sweater. I'd like to address all three to the on, panel again. On which side? So, Ma'am, ma which side? To the side against unions. Okay. Um, if you could discuss who are the gatekeepers to who become teachers, because it is not the unions. And how do you feel about charter schools using public spaces? And Larry Bob's movie, The Cartel, also implicates state government. But Mr. Page, I would dare say Mr. Bush's friends, the CTB, McGraw-Hill Testing Company, may okay, be a cartel that benefited from point. NCLB can, can the you, most. I'll, I'll, can you rephrase your first question, please? The first on your list, can you rephrase that? How do you feel about who are the gatekeepers to who become teachers? It is not the unions. Okay, I think that's the most relevant to our topic. Does anybody no, wish say, to say, Who will be, if you have a problem, who do you go to? Is that your question? Yeah. No. I, 
Wait, who's the gatekeeper? I don't understand what you mean. Like how did they become? Um, the edu Board of Ed let them in. The people who are bad teachers, some of them are apparent when they go for interviews. Okay. Some of them are apparent on teachers. paper. Thank I've you. seen, I've All been right. in classes we, we with them. We have the question, who gets to choose who gets in as hired as a teacher? Are you saying if not the unions or it's not well, the unions? Don't hire it's not the unions. All right, I think her point is that the bad teachers aren't because the unions are there. The bad teachers are in the system because the school administration hired them in the first place. Therefore, bad teachers are not the union's fault. Rod Page. Yes. Yes, uh, making these decisions are really difficult decisions. And we want uh, the universities to do better. We want the administrators to do better. But once the situation has been proven, that this is, this is a sub-par uh, teacher, then we want to have some system to remove the teacher from the environment because we know that it's not a good idea to have a teacher who's not competent in front of children. That's the only reason for that. Another question, I think we have time for one more. Um, green sweater. So, uh, I guess one of them is a very quick question. Only one question. Okay. Choose. Um, <laughs> So we talked a lot about uh, unions defending teachers who we thought were, were less than competent. Uh, is it the fault of the union that they're defending them and availing them of their rights, or that there is a system that means that they're actually successful at doing so? I, I, I actually didn't understand the question. But I, but I think there's something there, and, and I want to make sure our audience says. I guess the, the question would be, we don't blame defense lawyers for defending their clients because we have a good judicial system that allows for prosecutors and, and, and defense lawyers. Similarly, should we blame unions for, defend, for availing themselves of those rights to defend their okay. constituents and not the system? Let me take, let Kate take that, and then you um, decide. And I thank you for that question, because that was the biggest myth for me as a new teacher. I, I too thought, oh, you know, teachers unions keep bad teachers around. And as I became a building rep and a, you know, now the vice president, I've seen these cases actually pan out. And it's exactly what you said. Due process is not an easy thing to defend to, to people. And it, it's like you said, I mean, the, the defense lawyer didn't murder the person. But somehow it seems that unions are taking the rap for the actions of someone else when they're actually defending the due process. And in, in the actual case, uh, I'll give you an example. This is what floored me when I learned about this. Kate, you can't, we, I'm sorry. We, can we I just say one thing? You can't grieve opinion. So in, in the case of an, a principal writing something um, and giving a teacher an unsatisfactory, teachers unions can only talk about the procedures that happened. We actually can't defend the work of a bad teacher. Larry we Sand. defend procedure, which is exactly. We understand the point made, and Larry Sands. Okay, very quick to answer your question, sir. Yeah, they act as defense lawyers, I agree with you, but they also make the rules, they make the laws. So it seems to me to be a conflict of interest. All right, and that concludes round two of our debate. Okay, here's where we are. We are about to hear brief closing statements from each of our debaters. They will get two minutes each. After that, you will be asked to vote on where you stand on the motion. This will be your last chance. This is, will be their last chance to change your minds on our motion, which is don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. We asked you to vote before the debate began and reminding you of the results we got. The motion, don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. Those for the motion who stand by teachers' unions, 24%. Those against the motion who blame teachers' unions, 43%. Those undecided were 
33%. We will ask you to vote once again and pick the winner right after the closing statements, which will begin now as we start round three. Closing statements, two minutes each. And to lead off against the motion, Larry Sand, retired teacher and president of the California Teachers Empowerment Network. Okay, th thank you, John, and thank you, Mr. Rosenkrantz. I think this is a wonderful forum, and I'm very appreciative to be a part of it. Yesterday, March 15th, was a day of reckoning for many teachers across the country. Um, in a bad economy, that's when the letters of possible layoffs, also known as RIFs, reduction in force notices, go out to all teachers, go out to teachers who might be losing their job. At my school's retirement uh, lunch last June, <clears throat> excuse me, there were more than retirees saying goodbye. We lost several of the hardest working, most effective and popular young teachers on campus. Several teachers, we all know who they are. The kids know, the parents know, the teachers know should have been the ones saying goodbye. But because of the union-mandated seniority rules, they weren't. As a parent, a grandparent, or just a fair-minded person, don't you want your child, any child, to be taught by the best teacher, not the longest employed teacher? Of course you do, but that is not what happened in my school and other schools around the country. Yes, the teachers' unions are not the only problems with public education today, but the extent of the damage they have caused cannot, cannot be exaggerated. In closing, to show you how twisted the situation really is, what could be more preposterous than this? Well, they go to great lengths to keep the Mr. X's and other sexual predators in the classroom. The union hounded Jaime Escalante, one of the greatest teachers of our time, out of the classroom, and more recently destroyed the hopes and dreams of thousands of poor children in Washington, D.C., Please join us in sending the teachers' unions a resounding message and vote no on your ballot. Thank you. Thank you, Larry Sand. Our motion is don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. And summarizing his position for the motion, standing by teachers' unions, is Gary Smuts, who is superintendent of the ABC United School District in California. ABC Unified. Pardon me. Let me, okay. let me reintroduce it so I have it correct. Did I say ABC News? <laughs> It comes out sometimes. <laughs> Gary Smut, superintendent of the ABC United School District in California. That's Did right. I get it wrong? Again? You got it wrong again, but that's uh, okay. You know why? Because I'm reading in correct copy. ABC Unified School District. You know, we were separate school districts. We all came together. All right. Superintendent of the ABC Unified School District okay. in California. Thank you. Thanks for the correction. Okay. Accountability, innovation, standards, high achievement, teacher training, teacher performance measured by student achievement. These are hallmarks of the modern teachers' union. Now, some teachers' unions aren't modern. But those that are, do these things. It is implied that the teachers union or non-union is the only variable here. And they've tried to use weasel words to get out of that. Oh, not all of them or some of them. But the case is, if you look at the proposition, you have to blame teachers unions, I guess in each and every case. You have to deny poverty, poor budgets, lack of parental support, poor boards, poor state leadership, poor superintendents. You have to say none of those things count, and only teachers' union counts. They know that's not true, and they've said so. So you can't blame, just blame teachers' unions, and you know that. There's a lot of reasons schools don't work, and it's not just teachers' unions. Professor Moe said that teachers' unions are major obstacles to school improvement everywhere, not in my district, so the proposition isn't true in my district. It isn't true in Kate's district. It isn't true in a lot of districts. And you've got to be fair about that. It, it's not true in a lot of school districts. Professor Moe pointed out that principals, 90% of them said they can't get rid of bad teachers. That's not a very good system. Why not work with teachers' unions to get rid of bad teachers? That's what Randy Weingarten wants to do. 
Um, magnet schools work better than charters. I'm all for magnet schools, but the AFT is not against magnet, uh, charter schools either. Larry Sand told us a lot of stories from Bandcamp. I don't think that that's a good reason to say uh, uh, teacher unions are, are, are bad by sharing horror stories from individual places throughout the United States. Being a superintendent is a hot, sweaty business, and it's hard enough doing it by yourself, but I'd much rather work as a superintendent with my colleagues from the American Federation of Teachers to increase student achievement. Thank you, Gary Smuts. Our motion is don't blame teachers unions for our failing schools. Here to argue against the motion, blaming teachers unions, is Rod Page, former U.S. Secretary of Education and co-founder of the Chartwell Education Group. But I think I want, to be, I want you to be clear. We all know that teachers are not, teacher unions are not solely to blame for our failing schools. We, we could never argue that. What we are arguing is the way the motion is, is, is put, this the only option that you have in order to express the idea that teacher unions bear significant responsibility for the inability to reform our schools now. And so we are encouraging you to, to vote no. Teacher unions draw their ability to serve, to protect the interests of their members from their ability to convince the public that they are really about the kids. They are very good at hiding their real intent. They draw their power and ability to, to get the public to believe that there are some persons and some groups that they are not. They are not who they say they are. Who they say they are is not who they really are. Who they really are are mammoth organizations, highly financed, the most powerful political organizations in the United States of America. So you need to see them in that way. And we think they deserve your vote against the motion because they do bear significant responsibility for the conditions of our schools. Thank you, Rod Page. Summarizing for the motion, standing up for teachers' unions and arguing against our motion, don't blame teachers' unions for, I'm sorry, arguing for our motion, don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools, Kate McLaughlin, an elementary teacher in Lowell, Massachusetts, who is executive vice president of the United Teachers of Lowell, number 495, which is a local of the AFT. Thank you. It's interesting because I can't help but take this personally because I am a union leader and I am a proud union member. And I'm telling you that I'm speaking with the utmost candor that the kids come first to me and to my union president. The union are the, the members, the people in the union. They are not these powerful organizations that Secretary Page will have you believe. Yes, there are, there are political implications to what we do because we are advocating for the things that our children need, stable housing, health care and access to great and wonderful schools. So I would ask that you see the people on this panel as people who are actually doing this work on the ground level and working with our administrations to make our school systems better. We are the conduit for our teachers. Our teachers tell us what they need in their classrooms and we collect this information and we work together with our superintendent and other central office personnel to make it happen. That is the purpose of the United Teachers of Lowell. There are other aspects to what we do, yes. We protect due process rights, yes. That is one area. But what we do is maintain an attractive profession so that we can get the very best teachers teaching in our schools 
for the benefit of the students. Thank you. Thank you, Kate McLaughlin. Arguing against the motion, arguing that teachers unions are at fault, Terry Moe, the William Bennett Monroe Professor of Political Science at Stanford University and Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. All right, well, I think it's important here at the end uh, to just focus on the big picture. Uh, and the big picture is very simple and it's very devastating. You know, here's what it comes down to. The teachers unions are by far the most powerful groups in American education and they use their power mainly to protect jobs. And what they say is that there's really no conflict between protecting jobs and doing what's best for kids. But there are conflicts, lots of them. And as a result, we can't get bad teachers out of the classroom. The schools are burdened with truly perverse organizations. And fundamental reforms, good reforms that make sense for kids are resisted and undermined and weakened. So these are just basic facts. Our opponents say that they want reforms too, you know, that they want to get bad teachers out of the classroom. I've heard that several times, you know, that they want choice, that they want accountability. And my response is, hey, it's 2010, you know, where you been? You know, if you wanted to get bad teachers out of the classroom, why didn't you do it 30 years ago, you know? Why do we have all these protections in state laws? Why weren't they aggressive about it 30 years ago? Why are we even talking about it now? Right? Same thing with choice and accountability. They could have been aggressive in supporting these things, pushing for more choice, pushing for accountability. The reason we don't have them is that they've been opposing them. Right? So again, what counts is not what you say, it's what you do. Right? So here's the bottom line. You, know? you have an opportunity to show tonight where you stand. And so you can send a message about this issue to the unions, and you can send a message to the nation as a whole. So please do that. You know, please vote no on this proposal. It's important. Thank you, Terry Moe. Our motion is don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. And finally, to argue for that motion, standing by the teachers, Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers, the country's second largest teachers' union. When I think about what we're doing here tonight, um, I don't think about it as a debate on this motion and who wins or loses this motion. I think about the kids that I taught at Clara Barton High School. I think about the millions of kids in this country who but for public education will not have a chance at life. I think about the thousands and thousands of teachers who are isolated in individual classrooms and who frankly have no interest in the status quo and who join a union or stay in a union because they want voice in how their kids get a decent education. I have been in three schools a week when I was the president of the United Teachers in New York City and I have been in over 50 places in the United States in the last year and a half since I've been the president of the American Federation of Teachers. I wish I had that magic wand that would magically help all of our students achieve to the global standards we wish right now. What I can tell you, the folks who are on the other side of the stage and the folks in the audience, that this union, under our watch, and you see the examples from both what Gary said 
happens to be the superintendent of the year in California, as well as what Kate says, who every single day is teaching children as well as doing her union work. We want what children need. We want to make every single school a school where parents want to send their kids and educators want to work. And we've learned a heck of a lot in the last few years about what works for kids, how to ensure that we have well-supported and well-prepared teachers, even if we have to do the hard work of saying to people, you don't belong in this profession, how to have an engaged curriculum, how to work with parents better, what we and how to make sure the kids have the decent services that they need. Randy Weingarten, your time is up. What we're asking. <laughs> Thank you very much. And that concludes this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. And now it's time to learn which side has argued best. We're going to ask you right now to go to the keypads at your seat. It will register your vote, and we're going to get the readout almost instantaneously. Our motion is don't blame teachers' unions for our failing schools. If you are for the motion, if you stand with teachers' unions, or at least don't blame them, push number one. If you are against the motion, you do blame teachers' unions, press number two. And if you are undecided, remain undecided, or became undecided, push number three. And while that's happening and while the votes are being locked in and tabulated, the first thing I want to do is thank our panel for an amazingly impassioned and informed debate. You're all terrific. And I'd, I'd also like to thank those in the audience who came up with questions, even those that we didn't use or that got chopped. We, we, seriously, we appreciate uh, your willingness to be involved in this and for all of you for, for voting and for, for being part of the evening, uh, very vocally, in fact. So we're going to have the vote results shortly. A few things I want to announce about what's upcoming. Our next debate will be on Tuesday, the 13th of April. Our motion is organic food is marketing hype. Panelists for the motion are the director of the Center for Global Food Issues, Dennis Avery, Missouri farmer Blake Hurst, and former chairman of the UK's Food Standards Agency, Lord John Krebs. Against the motion are executive chef and co-owner of Blue Hill and Blue Hill at Stone Barns, Dan Barber, Consumers Union Senior Scientist for Policy Initiatives, Urvashi Rangan, and Vogue food critic, Jeffrey Steingarten. The motion for our May 11th debate is Obama's foreign policy spells America's decline. And debaters for that are being booked and will be announced soon. Individual tickets for all of our events uh, can be found at our website and at the Skirball box office. Make sure to become a fan of Intelligence Squared US on Facebook and you can receive a discount on upcoming debates. All of our debates can be heard on more than 200 NPR stations across the country and you can also watch all of our spring debates on Bloomberg television. Air dates and times can be found in your program. And don't forget to read about tonight's debate in the next edition of Newsweek and to pick up a current copy of Newsweek on your way out. All right, it's all in now. Um, our motion is don't blame teachers unions for our failing schools. If you're voting for this motion, you're standing with teachers' unions, or at least not blaming them. If you are against the motion, you do blame teachers' unions for the failure of our schools. Remember, we had you vote once before and once after. Before the debate, 24% of you were for the motion, 43% were against, and 33% were undecided. After the debate, 25% are for, 68% against, and 7% undecided. The side against the motion wins. Congratulations to them. Thank you to all of you, from me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S.